0: Genesis chapter 40. Some time later the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials the chief cupbearer and the chief baker and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph and he attended them. After they'd been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected, so he asked Pharaoh's officials, who were in custody with him in his master's house, Why are your faces so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there's no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, Don't interpretations belong to God. Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, In my dream I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its clusters opened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison, for I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon." Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, just as Joseph had said to him in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. This is God's word.
1: Your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. So Father, in this dark world of suffering, we pray that we be people who live by your word and have your word as a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. So we pray tonight you would encourage us, shape us, challenge us and send us out to live for you in this world. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If ever an HBO box set was to be made of a Bible story, I would love it to be Joseph. Imagine, episode one would be chapter 37, a story of family betrayal. We met Joseph, a spoiled brat really, much loved by his dad, given a dream of greatness by God, but hated by his brothers. He was sold into slavery by them, left in a pit by his own brothers. A story of family betrayal. Episode two. It's a shocking story of more broken families. Chapter 38, broken promises to a daughter-in-law, childlessness, and a turn to prostitution. Episode 3 would be chapter 39, a story really of injustice. We, rejo- we rejoin Joseph in slavery in Egypt, and things seem to be going relatively well for a while. He was doing quite well in his job. But his master's wife came on to him. She said to him, come to bed with me. And he says, no, no, no. And again he says, no. Again, he says no, and eventually she accuses him falsely of sexual assault. He's sent to prison, and there we left him, in prison, for a crime he never committed. The story of Joseph is a story of paupers and pharaohs, love, betrayal, family breakups, and international crises, tiny little details of life and huge eternal promises being worked out through them. And I hope, um, as the story was read out by Sharon, we get a sense of some of the drama that's unfolding before us. It's been said that uh, this whole series of Joseph is really like a great symphony on the theme of God's providence, um, God's sovereignty in a broken world. And each episode within this uh, series kind of nuances, colours it in a different way, shows us how that's true in a different angle. And this episode we have today, chapters 40 to 41, is one which speaks very much into our lives today. I personally found it a great help this past week. I had news back two weeks ago. A friend of mine, known since I was a teenager, used to go on holiday with each other each year. He had a rock climbing accident. He fell and broke his spine. And this time last week, I heard the news that the doctors say he'll never walk again. He's 24 Three weeks ago, he ran a half marathon. Now, as I've had this racing through my mind, these two chapters have been so good. Seeing what God's like has been so helpful. And there are many of us here today, I imagine, really aware, acutely aware, of trials and sufferings in our lives. Perhaps suffering that seems hopeless. Well, if that's you, these two chapters chapters are really key. Um, They speak into our lives. Uh, Perhaps some of us here today um, who can't really think of suffering particularly going on that much at the moment, everything seems okay, Um, well it's key for us to understand and believe what God's like from this story of Joseph, Um, because one day suffering will come to us. Uh, An older Christian friend said to me this week, they can't think of a single friend over the age of 40 who hasn't had a period of major suffering or trial in their life. And so it's really important that we uh, believe, understand, are shaped by these two chapters, as we go forward in our lives, so that when suffering comes, we run to God and not from God. And so too as well that we can be good friends to those who are suffering, so we can give good counsel. Um, it's been very helpful for me to know what to pray for my friend Christian lying in hospital at the moment. It's helpful for us knowing what to pray for our brothers and sisters in Iraq at the moment. Uh, helpful for us to give good counsel. As this story is really one we need to hear and believe, as one we need to have pumping around our veins. Um, So our first point tonight, if we're note-takers, God works slowly, but surely. God works slowly, but surely. That's really chapter 40. At first glance, what happens to Joseph in chapter 40 just seems hopelessly awful. Um, We left Joseph going to prison in chapter 39, probably aged about 18 or so, Um, not 100%, we know he uh, leaves his home at age 17 leaves prison, at age 30. It's about a 13 year gap. Um, but he's probably around 18 or so at this point. And chapter 40, verse 1, picks it up. Have a look at me. 40, verse 1. Some time later. That time is 10 years. 10 years Joseph has been in prison, a decade. 10 years, Joseph has wrongfully been in prison for a crime he never committed. A decade. And all that he seemed to do at the time was do the right thing and flee from temptation. But 10 years, he's been left in this awful ancient Egyptian jail. And one day, two of the prisoners have a bad night's sleep and they each have this really vivid dream. And they come to Joseph kind of bleary-eyed and they tell Joseph about this dream. Have a look at me at verse 8, chapter 40. 40, verse 8. We both had dreams, they answered, but there's no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, In my dream, I saw a vine in front of me, on the vine with three branches. And as soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Jesus said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me, show me kindness, mention me to Pharaoh, and get me out of this prison. For I was forcibly be carried off from the land of the Hebrews. Even here, I've done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. Finally, Joseph has his chance to go free. After 10 years of no hope, here he is with a chance. This cupbearer will go free, has a chance to speak to Pharaoh, maybe get him out. Joseph interprets, the other man's dream too. um, Not quite so uh, favourable an interpretation. We won't have time to look at it tonight, uh, but the man's going to end up hanged. And it all comes true just as Joseph interprets. Have a look at me at verse 20. Verse 20. Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of the officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, so he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, just as Joseph had said to them, in his interpretation. You can imagine the anticipation in Joseph's heart at the moment. As he packs together his things in his prison cell, he pulls down his dusty suitcase, thinking, no longer am I going to have to sit here all day. So long, suckers. You can imagine it. He's sitting there waiting for the call. Checks his watch. Checks his calendar. Then verse 23. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. That glorious freedom taken away. Left in prison not for another few weeks, not for another few months, but for another two years. Freedom had just seemed within his grasp and then it's taken away just like that. What an anticlimax. Can you imagine what's going through his mind? As Joseph wakes up each morning, can you imagine the pain, the heartbreak, thinking of what could have been, the tears? Joseph must have just felt that like life was just slipping past him. Twelve years in prison. Seems hopelessly awful. But what God wants us to see here is that it looks awful, but God is with Joseph. He is with him. And he's slowly but surely working out his promises. I wonder if we noticed some of those little details as we read through chapter 40. Have a flip back to verse 1 of chapter 40. 40 verse 1. Sometime later, later the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt, Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain and the guard, in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain and the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. Uh, the cupbearer and the baker are like the kind of Carson and baits of Pharaoh's Downton Abbey pyramid world. They're like the head cook and the butler. I like the way uh, Bates in Downton Abbey always gets to talk to Lord Grantham. Well, so too the cupbearer would have had the ear of Pharaoh. Um, He had a unique access to him. And under verse 3, he was put in the same prison where Joseph was confined. Coincidence? And out of all the people the captain of the guard could have put him to be on the same wing in as the prison, out of all the people he could have put in the prison to look after him, verse 4, captain of the guide, guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. This Hebrew Joseph, this child of the promise, is looking after that cupbearer. We have a little snapshot of God at work in Joseph's life. These tiny little details, you know, they seemed so random at the time. I bet Joseph didn't spot it. But God is working, slowly but surely, behind the scenes. And they come to him with these dreams. And uh, who is it who gives the interpretation to Joseph in verse 8? We both had dreams, they answered, but there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, don't interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. It's God who enables him to interpret it. In verse 22, when it comes true, it's God's to enable Joseph to interpret that dream. So behind all his time in prison, God is with Joseph. All that time he's with Joseph. He's working slowly but surely to bring about his promises. God hasn't forgotten Joseph, he's with him every step of the way. He's working random parts of his life out for huge promises. It takes a long time, you know, I bet Joseph never spotted it at the time. It takes 12 years, but God is with Joseph through all that slavery, all that prison. He hasn't forgotten him. He hasn't given up on him. God is working, slowly but surely. And perhaps for some of us, perhaps we really relate to Joseph in prison. Maybe we know what he feels like. Um, Maybe it feels like we've been in that prison with Joseph for years. Maybe there's suffering going on and it feels like it's going on and on and on. Uh, maybe there's real suffering, it feels like we're not at fault for it. Maybe it feels like life is just passing us by. We're wondering, are we being left behind? Where is God in this? Well, if that's you, please take great heart from chapter 40. God is with you. He is. We might not be able to see it at the time. Think about Joseph, yeah, he certainly couldn't. But God is with us. And he is working out the little details of our lives, the huge, wonderful promises. It feels like we've been in prison with Joseph for years. God has not forgotten you. He hasn't left you behind in his plan for the world. Sometimes it seems like God might work as, you know, slowly as a tide moves, as slowly as a glacier moving. Slowly, but surely, God is working. Trust, God is still the same today. And he's got a purpose, he's got a purpose, God is working slowly but surely to make Joseph forgetful and fruitful. That's our second point if we're note takers, to make Joseph forgetful and fruitful. And we see this really in epic proportions in chapter 41, it's like the ultimate rags to riches story. And so Liz is now going to read chapter 41 for us.
2: When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile when out of the river there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven ears of corn, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other ears of corn sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin ears of corn swallowed up the seven healthy, full ears. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. In the morning his mind was troubled, so he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, today I am reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night and each dream had had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was hanged. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, In my dream I was standing on the bank of the Nile, when out of the river there came up seven cows, fat and sleek, and they gazed among the reeds." grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows came up, scrawny and very ugly and lean. I had never seen such ugly cows in all the land of Egypt. The lean, ugly cows ate up the seven fat cows that came up first. But even after they ate them, no one could tell what they had done, done so. They looked just as ugly as before. Then I woke up. In my dreams, I also saw seven ears of corn, full and good, growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other ears sprouted, withered and thin, and scorched by the east wind. The thin ears of corn swallowed up the seven good ears. I told this to the magicians, but none could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears of corn are seven years. It is one and the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterwards are seven years, and so are the seven worthless ears of corn scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten, and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered, because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God, and God will do it soon. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man, and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, Can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second-in-command, and men shouted before him, "'Make way!' Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, "'I am Pharaoh, but without your word no one will lift hand or foot in all Egypt.' Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zaphenath-Paneah, and gave him Asenath, daughter of Potiphira, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt.' Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain, like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potiphira, priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, "'It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household.'" The second son he named Ephraim, and said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began. Just as Joseph had said, There was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt there was food. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph and do what he tells you. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the countries came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph, because the famine was severe in all the world. This is the word of God.
1: Well, what a rags-to-riches story. You know, x to eat your heart out. So after all that time in prison... Pharaoh finally has a dream, two dreams in fact, one about corn and one about cows. And he goes to all the professional dream interpreters of the day and asks them what they make of it, but none of them have the foggiest. Then, verse 9, chapter 41, then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, you can imagine how he said this, (coughs) today I'm reminded of my shortcomings. A pharaoh was once angry with his servants and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. We each of us had a dream the same night and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted it to us. I was restored to my position and the other man was hanged. So finally, <laughs> the cupbearer remembers Joseph. Pharaoh sends for him. Joseph has a wash and a shave, gets ready to appear before Pharaoh, ruler of all Egypt. And then verse 15. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I'd have heard it said of you, that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. So Pharaoh tells him his dream, and God gives Joseph the interpretation Uh, down in verse 28. 41 verse 28. It is just as I said to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten, and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered, because the famine that follows it will be so severe The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God, and God will do it soon. So there's going to be an abundance, an economic boom. It's going to be um, cash all round, and then a famine for seven years. It's going to be a serious famine. People are going to die of starvation. Whole towns left desolate. People left looking like walking skeletons. Children with bloated stomachs. The famine is going to bring the whole world to its knees. And Joseph tells Pharaoh the best way of preparing for this, verse 33. He says, And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over land, take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. And they should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. So, this food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt, so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. Well, the plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So, Pharaoh asked them, Can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people. I submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. After twelve years in prison, Joseph is transformed from the prison to the palace in a matter of minutes. From the lowest of the low to one of the most powerful men in the world, and as you see, all those privileges, privileges that are heaped on him. Verse forty-one: Pharaoh said to Joseph, "I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt." Pharaoh took the signet ring from his finger, put it on Joseph's finger dressed him in robes of fine linen, put a gold chain around his neck. He made him ride in a chariot as his second in command. Men shouted before him, Make way! Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. And then Joseph ends up carrying out his plan in verse 49. Successfully so, Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain, like the sand of the sea. It was so much, he stopped keeping records. Because it was beyond measure. And then what happens in verse 53? These seven years of abundance in Egypt come to an end, and the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt, there was food. Think of how all those little details in Joseph's life have come true in a way he could never have imagined. I think those administrative skills he'd learned in prison and being a slave, being put to use in being prime minister. His his being in prison with a cupbearer leads him to being a prime minister. God has worked slowly but surely to make Joseph fruitful. It's a real rags-to-riches story. And it makes you wonder, at this point in his life, he's just been made prime minister, in this great period of fruitfulness, he's had seven years, everything's gone very well. How would Joseph have looked back on his suffering? How would Joseph have looked back on that time in prison and slavery? Well, we get the answer by what he calls his children in verse 50. So before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph, by Aseneth, daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On. And Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said it is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. How can he say that? How can he say that he's forgotten all that trouble? How can he say he's forgotten prison, slavery? Um, Well, it's certainly not in the amnesia sense. It's not like he's being like, wait, was it 12 years of prison or being in a hotel? I can't remember. So it's not, not that kind of forgetfulness. But rather he's forgotten it because the reality has been reversed it's no longer painful for him it's no longer the first thing he thinks about when he wakes up in the morning it's no longer at the front of his mind and when joseph does think about it he doesn't feel sick when someone mentions god to him he doesn't have an awful feeling in his stomach in fact Those 12 years, all that pain, those hard times, well, they seem light and momentary compared to his time in the palace now. Now we can see it in the big picture. The pain has been forgotten because the reality has been reversed. One day, we too will be able to say exactly the same. It may not be in this life, but one day, we will be in the new creation. After the prison of suffering, we will be in the ultimate palace, not around a throne with Pharaoh on it, but around the throne of God. God himself will wipe away every tear from our eye. There will be no more death or mourning, crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. We will experience a world with no suffering, no prison of suffering, but instead a world of perfect relationships, not broken families. We'll be free from those sins that haunt us, free from the accusations of the devil. We'll be free from the sicknesses, pains, tears of today. And when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we'll have no less days to sing God's praise than when we first began. So I think of my friend Christian, lying in hospital right now, his spine broken, he's 24. And the doctors say he'll never walk again. But that's not true, is it? In heaven, Christian will run to the Lord Jesus. He will sprint to Christ. He will cartway his his way to the throne. He'll be able to say, God has made me forget all my suffering. God works slowly but surely to make Joseph forgetful, Uh, but also fruitful, fruitful in suffering. And did you notice that second name, just verse 52? The second son he named Ephraim and said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Well, for Joseph, it's obviously quite some fruitfulness. Um, you know, not only does he become prime minister, get rich, have a family, have power, but he's fruitful on an international scale. Um, your nations come to him for food. All these countries survive because of Joseph. In fact, his own family will survive this seven years of famine because of Joseph, because of his fruitfulness. In fact, God's promises to bless Abraham's descendants will be fulfilled through Joseph's fruitfulness. Joseph personally will be reconciled to his own family because of this. And none of it would have happened if it wasn't for his suffering. None of it. God has worked slowly but surely to make Joseph fruitful. And if we could have Romans 8 up, please. Romans 8 verse 28 says... And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. In all things in Joseph's life, whether rejection from his family, whether slavery, whether prison, God worked for good. He worked for the saving of many lives, for keeping his promises. He can work for holiness, for helping people care for others, Giving glory to Him, amongst many others. And God can work this fruitfulness out in our own lives in just many different ways. uh, Many ways. I was just thinking of one example: um, a woman you might have heard of called uh, Johnny X and Tarda, a Christian woman who, as a teenager, had a diving accident, um, and she is now paralysed. She was paralysed the rest of her life. It's been fifty years so far. But since then, God has used her to write over forty Christian books about. Um, being disabled and being a Christian. And she's actually been able to help people the world over with their dis- disabilities. God has worked it out for good. He has made her fruitful in the land of her suffering. i will just say, personally, as a young man, I look out at a church like Christ Church Mayfair. Um, one with older, wiser Christians here. I see some people in our church who have been through some real suffering. And I see examples for me to copy. Examples of people who have kept on trusting Jesus, even though it's been really hard. Examples of people who can now still say, God is good, blessed be his name. People who have kept on serving in their suffering. And people who have been able to comfort those as they've been comforted. People who have shown me not to run from God, but to run to God in his suffering. People give me examples I'm very thankful for people who God has made fruitful. And for those of us with Christian friends who are really suffering at the moment, verse 52 is a really great prayer to pray for them. It's so my prayer I have my friend Christian in hospital at the moment, or we'll think about our brothers and sisters in Iraq this week. I pray that one day they'll be able to say, God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. That's my prayer for him. That's my prayer for them. So God works slowly but surely to make Joseph fruitful. All things, no matter how messy, work out for good. If we try and think of where in the Bible we see this most, it's got to be in the death of the Lord Jesus, isn't it? Betrayed by his friends, abandoned by them, falsely sentenced, jeered, spat on, put to death by crucifixion. It looked at the time like the worst of human crimes. But it turned out for an abundance Fruitfulness for the saving of many lives. Christ suffered so we could live. And we get a little taster of that in verse 56. Verse 56. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the countries came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph, because the famine was severe in all the world. Joseph suffered, and others came to him to eat and live. What so too, Jesus says in John chapter six, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. As dangerous as that famine was to their nations, well, how much more so is our sin? the ways we reject God, push him out of our lives each day. We personally are left on the brink of a famine, the danger of eternal death. So come to the one like Joseph, who offers life, who offers the bread of life. If you eat, you will live and never go hungry again. Come to Jesus and live. Cry to him for mercy, believe in him. And like Joseph, he will give you all you need Come and enjoy his abundance of eternal provision. Jesus invites us to come to him with our emptiness so he can fill us. Uh, so as we close, these chapters show us that in a broken world of suffering, God is working, slowly but surely. In the moment, we might not be able to see it, but God hasn't left us behind. He hasn't forgotten us. He is working, slowly but surely, To make us fruitful. We may not be able to see exactly how in the time, but we can trust God is working it out for good, to make us fruitful, to make us work towards His great plans. So trust God. And ultimately, God is working slowly but surely to make us forgetful, forgetful of our suffering. And that new creation, the reality of our prison we're experiencing in this world this week, it will be reversed. And better than a palace in Egypt, we will be around the throne of God, free from any of the brokenness of this world, and we will be able to say, with a smile on our face, God has made me forget all my trouble. If we pray? Father, we praise you that you are with us. Praise you that you would help us to trust you, to believe that. Help us when times are hard, when our friends are having hard times, and it feels like it's been going on and on and on. Thank you that you are working, surely, slowly but surely. I Father, we pray too that we would be able to say that you have made us forgetful of all our trouble, that you have made us fruitful in it. Please help us to be those. Uh, who cling to you in hard times. And please help us to be those who are good friends to those who are going through hard times too. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.